0: If you take your Bibles, we're in a series on fortitude, we're in 1 Peter, so take your Bibles, open there while we turn there, while you're turning there, I, I should say. Um, we've been highlighting in this series the character quality of fortitude, or steadfastness. In other words, the ability to stand, the ability to lean in, even when the going gets really difficult, or gets really painful, and there's actually suffering involved with it, that you would stay steadfast, that you, you would be immovable in terms of responding with and to the Lord Jesus and following his leadership even when it is hard. And all of that comes to fruition in the next few verses that we're going to read and look at together. So I'm going to start in verse 18 and read it. There's too much to put on the screen, so we'll, we'll just read it, follow along, and then we'll put uh, verses up there after. So it reads like this. I'm reading out of the ESV. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, it's an incredible passage. Let's pray this morning before we start. Father, as we look at this, all of us know have been in places where life got hard. And all of us know how we react when things get hard. We know how we react when we're falsely accused, when, when things are flat out unfair. And Peter's addressing that this morning. And uh, Lord, I seek you help to translate as uh, I speak that you would have a conversation with everyone and you're very capable of doing that and highlight what you want them to catch. As we read this, Lord, we're asking for you to help us have fortitude and steadfastness uh, towards you. And so roll it out in your spirit and we give this to you in your name. Amen. All right. So let's start with the first opening verses here 18 and 19 says servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust for this is a gracious thing when mindful of god one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly now if you have an NIV this morning it uses a different word it says what slaves right? so if you read that with that word in read it again it says slaves be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And I think that impacts the passage significantly when you put that word in there. When we're talking about this this morning, uh, the historical context of this passage is this one and several other passages were texts that were used to justify slavery. Right. I think we just have to be clear about that without going through the whole history and backdrop, which we obviously wouldn't have time for this morning. Let's just suffice to say that slavery was common practice at the time of Peter's writing and that Peter and in other contexts, Paul, were at the beginning of a fledgling movement and were working within what was the system at that time, not what should be. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if each each of you should remain in the condition in which he was called, were you a bondservant or a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, what Paul is saying is you find yourself in slavery, if you have a chance to get out of it, do it. Turn that, turn that page. But if you don't, don't concern yourself about it. Work within the system as it is. So, Here's what we're not advocating today, right? What we are not advocating, we are not advocating slavery this morning, right? We're not saying the Bible endorses slavery. The Bible talked about people who lived in slavery, and those passages can be distorted. So the reality is we are not talking about uh, advocating slavery. We are not advocating that a person stay in an abusive situation this morning. Many times these verses have been said, if you're in an abusive situation, uh, you have to stay there. We say no. You do not. You can get out. You can get help, and, and we would advise you to do that, all right? The other thing we're saying is that we are not advocating, if you are abusive, that you have permission from Scripture to stay that way. If you're abusive to your family or to your children and you're doing that, that is not a good thing. You need to stop. That is not control. That is not power. That is abuse, all right? And you need to know if you were doing that in secret and in private, and you're and you're sitting there thinking I'm getting away with it, you need to know my prayer as your pastor. God kills you. All right? That's how I feel about it. That God kills you. I think it's that awful. All right? I think a better thing to do would be repent. All right. Before God does do something like that, I think it would be a good thing to repent. And if you have a problem with that, just come and talk to me. We'll, one of the others will, will help. We'll work. We'll pull out. Okay. Nor are we advocating unjust systems stay unjust. Uh, people argue that, oh, Scripture, is, see, that's what Christians do and they've advocated slavery. Listen, the reality of the truth is there have been misuses and there have been injustices done. But the other side of it is Christianity is the only religion that has undone slavery in the course of human history. So if you look at that, there's balance points to that. So we don't have time to do that. But what I want to talk about is what we are saying this morning. So here's what we are saying this morning. All of us have masters in and over our lives. Okay? Like Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. Right, that's for old people. All right, um, Bob Dylan, who's that? Um, but the reality is, all of us have people that we have to answer to. That we're not independent. This whole American thing that I'm independent and I answer to nobody is an absolute fallacy. Okay, you did not make the clothes that you're wearing today, so that you could come here this morning. You did not make the toothpaste that you brushed your teeth with. so you could come here this morning. You did not make the deodorant, hopefully, that you're wearing, okay, that when you came here this morning. You did not make the car that you drove that you could get here this morning. You did not distill the gasoline that you put in the car so the car can come here this morning. you getting my drift? All of us are dependent on other people. There's no such thing as I'm independent and I don't need anybody's help. We all need help. And because of that, we all have people over us. And so Peter's addressing that issue. Some of our masters are fair. Some of them are not fair. Some of our masters have been fair for a whole streak or period of time, and then something tilts and it goes wrong. Many of you have been in a job where it was a great job for like 10, 12 years, and then all of a sudden the whole thing tipped, right? And the bushel basket went upside down and you went, what happened? What just hit me? Right? And, and you're reeling and you don't know what to do. Uh, some of you have been in marriages that have tipped. And you found out and you tried to correct it and work and you found out that you're, the other person was three years farther down the path. They had thought it all out and you were dead before you ever got started. Right? And so we, we have those situations. Some are fair, some are not. All of us have found ourselves at some point in our life in an unfair system. Is this not true? Was it not just April 15th a few days ago? Then why do you laugh? Okay? All I got to say is that date and what comes to mind? Ah, taxes, right? And in some places, I don't think all taxes are bad. I think the notion that all taxes are bad, is I think taxes are good. I think taxes have built the infrastructure of the United States of America. We have uh, some of the best stuff in the world. I think because of misuse and stuff like that, a lot of that infrastructure is falling apart. So I don't think taxing is bad. But is there injustices in the system? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are other systems. Some of you were at work and you expected a promotion and then it got given to someone else because of political reasons. Some of you... um, thought you were going to get a promotion and you found yourself with a pink slip, right? There's uh, some of you, you ever been in a job where you thought it's going to go on like this forever, right? There's no way to get ahead. There's no way to change. There's no, you're just stuck. The problem is not there's movement. The problem is there's no movement at all. It's just going on like this day after day, right? And it, it, it's hard to get out of. And so, that what Peter's talking about here is uh, also unfair systems. And also, all of us find ourselves in situations that we cannot get out of and have to deal with, right? If you watch the movies, there's always some way out. Is that true in real life? No, there's a lot of places there's no way out. And what God wants to deal with is you in the spot where you can't get out of the circumstance you're in. And so Peter's addressing this. That's what we're talking about this morning. So the question that Peter's raising is how am I to respond if I am in Christ to some of these situations that I run into when I'm a human being down here on this planet? How do I respond if Christ is in me? Uh, Here's another way to ask the question. The question on the table this morning is how am I to respond when I find myself caught in untenable and seemingly unchangeable situations? When it's chafing my hide, when it hurts, when I'm in tears and I can't figure out how to change it. What do I do in those circumstances? That's what Peter is talking about. And Peter is addressing... Remember when we talked about the people he's addressing in First Peter, he called them the exalted exiles, right? Because of what Christ was doing them for. But do exiles have a lot of options? No, exiles are famous for having no options whatsoever. They don't even have a place to live. They're running around. We have people in the world today, not small numbers, who are floating between country and country, and walking around without coats and hats and stuff, trying to find just a place that will land where somebody won't kill them. That's what Peter's addressing is people, exiles, whose stuff their homes have been taken from them, their jobs and security have been taken they're just trying to find a place to land. This is the group of people that Peter's addressing. They must deal, an exile must deal with what is, not what you want it to be, Right? Because they don't have what you want it to be, all they have is this is what it is. So how do we, uh, as the old Americans say, we go? How do we make the best of it, right? That's a typical American approach. What's how how can we make the best of this? And so they have to deal with what is. And I want to say this as Americans because, uh, you know, we're the free, we're the brave, we're the independent, right? We we can do anything we want, we can go anywhere we want. So we never get trapped in those kind of circumstances. And I just want to say this morning, see if this isn't true, that for all our freedoms and rights and options and independence, there still are a whole lot of situations just is. Right? And you've got to deal with what is, not with what you want it to be. And so we're going to take a look at that and what Peter talks about because the question comes down, how do I respond? How do I react? Do I fight fire with fire? Do I just roll over and quit? Do I whine and pout and bewail the unjustness of my circumstances? Do I find fault with God and blame Him? What is Peter's exhortation? And you can break it down into two real simple things. There are two very clear exhortations in this section, and they are these two. Act respectfully, act graciously. Where am I pulling that from? Look at verse 1 again. Servants or slaves, depending on which translation you have, be subject to your masters with all what? Respect. And the idea there is you may not respect what they're doing, but you have to respect the role. You have to respect the authority because the Bible says authority is a God-given thing. Whether people use it right or not is another question. But authority is instituted by God and therefore is to be respected, not for somebody who's misusing it, but for the fact that God has instituted and can work through the authority structures that we have and experience, And so act respectfully. Okay? And he's talking here about people who are slaves or servants who don't have a lot of options. Saying, you know, when you're stuck in that and you can't get out, act respectfully, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For Peter says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So what's the second one? Act graciously, right? And the idea behind that is don't just act respectfully, but you have to act graciously. And what this means is you may be acting respectfully, but if your tone isn't gracious, will they pick up on it? You ever said something to your boss, but the tone, you said the right thing, but the tone is wrong? How well does that go over with the authorities in your life? Why that that goes like a lead balloon, right? Because they're so good at picking it up, they're so good at hearing it. Uh, students, when you talk to your parents wrong, right? But you say the right thing. How well does it go? Eat, right? Okay. Because what are they picking up on tone? So respect is about the action. Tone is a tone. Uh, gracious is about the tone, the words. In other words, being gracious in how you respond. It's really easy to act small. And the, and the scripture is talking about acting graciously. When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why do these two things? Because Peter's saying these are the right things to do what? In the eyes of God. So the purpose is, or the issue here is who has your attention as you're going through the situations in life and To not get knocked sideways. And then Peter says this. He says, okay, so here's the deal. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? There's all kinds of things in life for which there are painful, painful consequences. If you are sinning like a banshee and you disrespect the word of God and you say, I'm an exception. That applies to other people. It doesn't apply to me. You launch out. You're going to get smacked down in life. And guess what? It's going to hurt. It hurts when you get a DUI. It hurts when you lose your job. It hurts when you don't pay your taxes. It hurts when right when you go through all these things. It hurts when you go through a divorce. It hurts. There's a lot of painful things that we do. We make sinful choices and get whacked for it. And Peter says, hey, if you're doing that and you get whacked, and then you endure, what what benefit do you get from that? that? Okay, I always say, you know, it's one thing if you get hit with a bat; it's another thing if you give them the bat to hit you with. Okay, Peter says, "Hey, you're not gaining ground if you're handing them a baseball bat." All right, that's the idea uh, behind that. But he goes on to say this: "For to this you've been called." I'm sorry, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you've been called. There's a different picture all of a sudden. To this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Why is that important? Well, it's important because what does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian means you are a Christ follower you are following in Jesus' steps. So Peter is laying out how did Jesus react when unjust things happened to him? He's the role model. So we should follow what's been modeled for us, not what the world has modeled for us. Okay? So if we're here this morning and we're in immense pain or suffering because we've sinned, it's because of sinful choices then really the issue there is you need to repent. You need to admit you've made wrong choices and admit you're in the pickle you're in because you made wrong choices and repent and get right with God. But what was the example that Jesus modeled for us? Peter goes on to say this. says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Now, These are facts we locked up here. But think about this. He did not sin. Right? Don't you think, don't you have the thought, if I could just go through life and not sin, everything would go well for me? Right? Jesus did everything well. And it went very bad for him. Okay? And here's the point about... as Americans, we want to fix every system. We want to fix everything. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think the instinct of that is wrong. But as you've tried to fix everything wrong that you found in your world, how well has it gone? And you know what the Bible says about suffering? Yes. doesn't qualify it. Doesn't say It just says it's going to happen. It's part of the deal. You live in a fallen world. You live in a sinful world. Uh, I do as well. And as we live in this world, we are going to suffer. So figure out how you're going to handle suffering because it's part of the package. And that's where I think the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel just sells a bill of goods and a bale of hay, all right? Because they, they say if you do all this, you'll be blessed, and you know it's all of faith and that kind of stuff. And some of the people I know of the most faith go through the hardest things. Suffering is part of the package till we get to heaven. And if you have a Christian Annie that says, I will only do it until it gets hard, then you don't have a Christian faith because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we will suffer in this world. So the question then is, how do we handle it? Jesus committed no sin. It says no deceit was found in his mouth, but it says when he reviled, he did not revile in return. What's reviling? That's called payback. It's called revenge, Right? We have all kinds of language for it. Some of it's very colorful and we can't say in church. Anybody ever go after you and you revile them? You let them have it? You bring out your whole vocabulary with every tone that you know in the book to let them know what despicable scum and slime they are and how they've uh, sinned against you? And it's called hurling, lobbing. We, we just launch grenades against people and uh, we tell him you stay off my turf don't you mess with me you will pay right and and in all the movies that's if you think about it like uh, all the avengers and all that stuff what's the theme vengeance right i will get I, and even the part of you know what i can't write this right now but i will get you somewhere down the line uh, right here where it says he didn't revol- when he suffered he did not threaten isn't it easy to threaten Hey, you ever, uh, Liam Nielsen in the movie uh, Taken, I will hunt you down, right? And, and that's, there's that idea of, I may not be able to get you right now, but there's going to come someplace, sometime, somehow where you ain't watching, you aren't looking, you've forgotten, but let me tell you, I will never forget, I am going to stalk you, and I am going to wait for the absolute perfect opportunity, and when I get it, you're never going to see what hit you. I will take you out. So just know, look over your shoulder, because baby, I'm tracking you. That's called threatening. All right? Yeah. (laughs) That was godly. Right? Isn't that just in us? And Peter's saying, no. No. Why not? Because that's not what Jesus did. Okay? Yes, that's how the world does it. Yes, that's... uh, Have you ever seen people who have gone through hard things and are bitter and are trying to have payback for the rest of their life. The funny thing is they just get more bitter. And the more bitter they get, the smaller they get. And the smaller they get, the prouder they get. And the prouder they get, the more walled they get. And the more walled they get, the more bitter they get. At the end of their life, they end up a shell. There's nothing left. Because the bitterness has consumed them. All right? And Peter's warning us not to be bitter people. It says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued. And here's the key phrase in the whole passage. Look it up there on the screen. He continued to what? Entrust. It says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew there was a higher court of opinion. There was somebody who overruled, and that was his father. In spite of the plan, and Jesus knew the plan when it really got painful, it says even for Jesus, he kept entrusting himself to his Father. And that's where we blow it. We get caught in the hurt, and we get our eyes off of Jesus, and we stop entrusting him. And that's what Peter's encouraging them. Why? Because these people who were caught in this exile position, they aren't any different than us. They were hurting. They were mad. They were scared. They were freaked out. They didn't know what was next. They didn't know how it was going to play out. And Peter's encouraging to keep entrusting themselves to Jesus the way Jesus had entrusted himself to the Father. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds... We've been healed. So Peter's talking about a completely different way to respond. And to do that, you have to have fortitude. You have to have steadfastness. You have to keep your eyes on God when it gets hard. Right? Is that easy to do? I'm looking at a lot of us, and I know our life stories. There have been some incredibly painful stuff. Isn't it easy to lack fortitude, to lack steadfastness and just kind of kick out, right? And, and we're encouraged not to. What happens is we get caught, we stray, and Peter addresses this to. He says to them, For you were straying like sheep, but now i have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In other words, for a period of time, when we're hurting, sometimes we lose our mind. We're nuts. We do stupid things. We have stupid reactions of which later we have to come back and repent of. And I just pulled a couple people from the Bible of who had to come back to their senses. There's a whole lot more, but I just pulled a couple. David, godly man, God a after, man after God's own heart, greatest king Israel ever had. Followed in incredible obedience, would not touch God's anointed, and as a result, got chased through the desert for seven years. His life was hanging in the balance within inches several dozen times. What a guy! Loses his mind, sees a beautiful woman that is the wife of one of his best friends, finds her, takes her, shacks her, makes her pregnant. Then, blows it, instead of admitting it, tries to cover it up, and he kills his best friend to cover up the pregnancy, then takes her in as his wife as if nothing happened. He lost his mind. David literally lost his mind. Okay, He never expected... By the way, that what that tells you, and again, let me say this, anytime you think you're thinking, of, or I am thinking of sinning, always remember you cannot control the consequences of your sin. I'm sure David thought he could. And he couldn't. And it was horrific. And it had incredible repercussions for his family. Now, what does it say? David came back to his senses. When he got confronted by Nathan the prophet, he came back to his right mind. The problem is there were enormous consequences that couldn't be undone. But he came back. The difference between David and Saul is David came back to his senses. Saul never did. All right? Uh, Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar one of the greatest kings who's ever lived on the face of the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar builds one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. And he's actually warned by God not to get cocky and get proud. Like he's some hot stuff because God said, hey, just let's make this straight. You know that I helped you do this, so you wouldn't have done this without my help. So let's just keep that at that. Well, he didn't. One day he's strolling on the walls and he says, look at Babylon the great that I have built. He no more got those words out of his mouth than boom. Angel says, the decree has been written. It has been taken from you. And he literally loses his mind, goes crazy. He walks around for seven years. He actually crawls around for seven years. His hair is drenched with rain. It's all tarry. He looks like a, a homeless hippie. He's got fingernails that look like eagle claws. He's chewing on grass. He's just literally nuts out of his mind. And then at the end of seven years, it says what? He came back to his senses. He literally came back to his right mind. And he realized and he acknowledged God's role. And then in that process, God restored the entire kingdom to him. But he had to come back to his right mind. Jonah. Was Jonah a little nuts? Right? Jonah said, have you ever said this? Ah, God, that's your plan? Nope. Ain't doing it. Nah, uh, ah, ah, ah. That's your idea of of your perfect will? I'm not so perfect, I don't think. I'm out of here. Anybody ever done that? Right? Big things, little things. Yep, ain't doing it. Can't make me. And then we start running. And we run. I always tell people, by the way, when I catch them that are doing that, I said, how hard are you running? Really hard. I said, good, run harder. What? Run harder, run far. Just, you better get away and you better move. Have you ever thought of going to Ethiopia or something? Why would you say that? I said, Well, because wherever you go, there God is. How far do you think you gotta run to get away from him? And the second thing is wherever you go, there you is. So you aren't going anywhere, so run. Just run hard. Oh. Right? And it occurs to them, they're out of their mind. They're they're actually doing something that we would literally call insane. Right? And Jonah was like that. Did Jonah run hard? Yeah, he jury-rigged, all kinds of stuff. He argued with God. He told God his plan was stupid. When God insisted anyways, Jonah ran away. God makes a storm over the thing. By the way, God has phenomenally creative ways to catch rebels. You know why you're laughing? Because half of you are the rebels that God caught in phenomenally incredible ways. He knows how to scheme greater than you do. And he knows how to create things that can catch you in big or spectacular ways. It doesn't matter, right? Little ways, silent little whisper. But he knows how to catch rebels. So if you think you're running and getting away with it, keep running. Go harder. It'll be fun to watch. All right? Jonah was literally nuts. Even when Jonah did what God told him to do, what's he doing? He's a grump. He's sitting outside Nineveh under the very plant God created and he's sitting under there grumbling and, and barking and, and just being an Eeyore. Right? I told you this to see. I knew this. Just being a curmudgeon. And even when he's doing what God's doing, he's really not doing it with the right... Is he being gracious in that? No. He's being an Eeyore. And some of us are like that. Well, I guess I have to go to church. Well, I hope you're happy. Yeah, you wrecked my week, but I bless you. Uh, right? A bunch of sour prune lemon juice people. Like, yeah, the joy of the Lord sure looks good on us. Right? What's the problem there? The problem there is we're like Jonah is that we started to stray. We've gotten away from suffering's part of the package and that we rejoice whether it's going well or whether we're suffering. Jonah was out of his mind. He had to come back to sense, prodigal son. Hey, Prodigal son, we know that story well, right? He gets it, he blows it. woo Let her rip. And he lets her rip, he lets her fly, and he does everything that money and body can do, right? It says he wasted it, he was prolific, it. Just like throwing water out on the street. And then he finds himself feeding the pigs, and it says that he longs to eat the husk that he's feeding to the pigs. Now, for city people, see, that doesn't make any sense like why would you eat a husk okay but here's the picture you have a corn cob right if you had corn cob you could at least peel off the kernels of corn and eat it but husk are the corn that's been shelled right they've shelled it all so there might be one kernel on there and there's a bunch of corn leaves on it and there's just the cob how much how delicious is just the cob okay it's called corn on the cob not cob on the cob right <laughs> And it says that was awful, and he was longing to fill his belly with even the stuff he was feeding to the pigs. That's how bad it is. And in the midst of that, what does it say? He came back to his senses. He came back to his right mind. He said, man, even the servants, the slaves in my father's house, have more to eat than this. I'm an idiot. I need to go back to my father. And the whole story is about him coming back. You know what he said? Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against earth. I've sinned against you. I have no right to be even called a son. Let me be one of your servants. And the father throws a big party. Why? Because the son came back to his right mind. All right? He was back. Uh, woman at the well. Jesus comes and talks there, and they're having a conversation. And, and he says, all right, you want to you wanna play cards together? Go get your husband. Um, well, I don't have a husband. Well, that's true. Because you've had five. Oh, and by the way, the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband either. Oh, laundry hanging right out there. Hello. How would you like your life to be flayed out like that? Right? And in dialoguing, you read that story. She comes around full circle. She runs back into town and says, let me tell you the story about a guy I met at the well who told me everything about my life. And she brings the whole town out. And the whole town comes back to its right mind. It's not about where you worship or all this kind of thing. It's who is Jesus. And they came to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And from all reports, the whole village and the woman were saved. This woman who went through five marriages. You think that's pretty painful? What do you think her life looked like? Okay? What do you think she felt about herself? What do you think her self-esteem was? At that point. She had run pretty hard. She was out of her mind sexually. Some of us right now are out of our mind sexually. You don't look like it because you're sitting there and you look handsome or beautiful. But we're out of our mind sexually. We are engulfed with pornography. We're engulfed with darkness. It has swallowed us. And we are literally out of our mind. She was too. Jesus can heal you of that. But you've got to come back to your senses. And this is what Peter was saying to this group of people. Is, hey, you've know, you done some things well, but it's gotten tough, and some of you have strayed. You've strayed from the, the, the shepherd and the overseer. I was uh, reading this week. I was actually, believe it or not, on Facebook. That is a scary thing. Me on Facebook is scary. Facebook itself is even scarier, all right? But there's some great things on there, too. And, and I was reading, and my mentor, Jan Hedinger, who pastored North Shore Baptist Church, and now he's at Cascade in Monroe, another sister church of ours, and uh, he's the missions guy over there, now under his son's authority, which I think is hilarious. Jan, if you're listening to this, I got a big laugh out of that, all right? But he had a, a what do you call him? A blog, a thing on there. You know, hit the thing, read more. All right. So I hit the thing and I read more. All right. And yeah, I love technology. All right. And so he has this he's talking right where I went. Let me read to you what he said. It's brilliant. He said. Um, well, before we go there, let's talk about sheep for a second. OK, before I read what I said, so sheep, two things about sheep is they tend to be stubborn and they tend to be stupid now that we shouldn't say stupid in church. Mom, he said stupid. Okay, so they tend to make bad decisions under pressure. <laughs> all right? Tend to make bad decisions. So she, sheep are stubborn. They tend to make bad decisions under, but without the leadership of a shepherd. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the question here is, How do we come back to the leadership of the shepherd? And Jan writes this. He said, Why would anyone find comfort in the idea that Jesus is the good shepherd? Few of us see ourselves in any way comparable to sheep, he writes. We see sheep as foolish and stubborn. We see ourselves as smart, capable, and self-sufficient. So why would Jesus choose the good shepherd title? Didn't he anticipate the fact that people would find it offensive and off-putting? That it would actually repel them instead of draw them? Well, of course he did, Jan writes. Jan writes, he knows our reluctance to acknowledge our need. Jesus looks past our false bravado and offers us what our souls long for. This is the good news of the gospel. The truth is, It doesn't get any better than this. There is a supreme person who understands our need for guidance and protection. He delights to find us when we are lost and to take care of us when we are found. He actually lays his life down for the human race he loves. The good shepherd image is carefully chosen so that we would realize what God is like. Jesus was teaching us that our fears about God being a tyrant, are misplaced. He is everything we want and need in a leader if we're willing to follow. And that's the sticky part, Jan writes. Human sheep prefer the benefits of being part of a well-led flock without the requirement of actually following a shepherd. Let me read that again, just in case you missed that. Human sheep prefer the benefits of being part of a well-led flock without the requirement of actually following a shepherd. What's he saying? People like a Bible-teaching church. People like a Bible-preaching pastor. People like a church with a lot of programs because they can come in, they can use it, they can walk out, but they don't actually have to walk with Jesus. They don't actually have to follow Him. They never have to surrender to His leadership. And they like it that way because they stay close, but they don't have to stay under. And it's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. That's what Jan's pointing out. What does he say? He says, sure, it's silly. So he says, why not cut out the nonsense and just let him lead? And that's what I'm saying this morning. Why don't we cut out the nonsense and just let him lead? All right? He's the king. And so this morning, maybe it's the respectful part and the gracious part that has been hard for you. Maybe it's the you're out of your mind right now. And you need to come back to your senses. Maybe you're doing things that if they were shown up on the screen, you'd be embarrassed for a lifetime. Okay, Monica Lewinsky said, shame sticks like tar. She ought to know. All right? Maybe it's the idea of reaffirming him as the good shepherd. You know, what church is about is church is about Jesus. It's not about programs. It's not about what we can put together. It's not about skill, although you hope all that stuff is there. It's really about Jesus, and it's really about his leadership, and are we in our right mind and under his leadership? Peter's encouraging these exiles. Come back to the overseer, the good shepherd of your soul, because there was a place where you were straying Come back to him. Does that make sense, church? All right, then let's pray. Father, as we do this this morning, all of us are guilty. All of us in one way or shape or form or at some stage in our life have strayed. And we have literally been out of our mind. We have done and said things that later on in life Satan flashes back up in our minds and we cringe. It might be right now we look at our life and cringe because we know we've strayed out from under your leadership. Nobody else would know, but we know. And this morning is a great place to course correct that, to come back into our right mind, to come back under your leadership, to quit pushing your voice aside and to listen to you and to trust you and to keep entrusting ourselves to you with all our heart, regardless of the consequences. We try to sometimes measure the consequences and weigh them out to tell you why what you're telling us won't work. Lord, would you help us with that? May we be a group that entrusts ourselves to your leadership and we ask for that in your name. Amen.